Would you please join with me in prayer? Heavenly Father, we are grateful that we have entered this week and all the implications that it has for our lives. I pray, Holy Spirit, you would come and spur us on to the reality of your grace and truth and pray that the grace would truly be amazing for each and every one of us this week that would be life-transforming. For in Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen. Please be seated. Well, it's that time of year, you know. You're going to go to Heinen's or Giant Eagle, and you're going to see it on the newsstands. You're going to see specials on the Discovery Channel, Animal Planet, you know, HGTV. Did Jesus really rise from the dead? New evidence calls into question the resurrection. Scholars find the tomb of Jesus, etc. Well, it is a good thing for us to ask, did these things actually happen? But you need to understand that the gospel writers are writing as primary sources, right? Notice Luke cites Simon of Serene. Mark cites Simon's sons, Rufus and Alexander. Unfortunate name, Rufus. You know, he wouldn't mention them unless everybody knew who they were. They aren't legends. This doesn't come down to us as a greater myth that just keeps growing and growing. This is first century source material. And what Simon Cyrene saw, and what everyone saw that day, the daughters of Jerusalem, the crowds, the two criminals that were crucified by him, they saw that the king was dying and truly died. And Luke wants us to know the controlling thought that's woven throughout those crowds is this. Father, forgive them. They don't get it. Some of them think they get it, but they don't get it. Father, forgive them. That's the heart of God, no matter where the crowd is. They don't get it. They're spiritually unconscious. They're spiritually dead. They're spiritually asleep. But one isn't. And Luke asks us, which one are you this Palm Sunday? Well, by the end of this, you're going to know which one you are. So I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles or in the back of the bulletin to our gospel that Scott read for us because the entire reason Jesus is crying out is that he wants us to be awake. He wants us to understand the cross. So therefore, let's look at these crowds of people. First, the daughters of Jerusalem, verse 28. But turning to them as he's walking, Jesus said, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. First, we need to realize, if you're going to believe anything Jesus tells you, there's going to be a day of judgment for each and every one of us. You know, yes, Jesus said that. Jesus spoke of judgment as much as he spoke about anything. And notice, he's not talking to the Pharisees here. 
He's talking to the groups of women who are following him, who are weeping that he's going to the cross. And what he's saying to them is, you need to realize the sentence you're under. You need to understand this. Until you weep for yourselves as lost sinners under a sentence, you're not going to understand anything of what I'm about to do. You'll see this as a senseless tragedy. But you won't understand my death about. My death isn't about me. My death is about you. For the past six weeks, across the news, we have absolutely been horrified by what Russia has inflicted on the Ukrainian people. In Bukha, naked children shot in the back of the head, mass graves, and we weep because it isn't happening here. And yet we do so while we're drinking coffee in our warm homes, right? Jesus is saying to us through the daughters of Jerusalem, my death isn't like their death in Ukraine. It's not just another senseless death. That's a senseless death. Jesus' death upon the cross is a purposeful death. Until we understand that, and that we're under a sentence that stands before us, we're never going to understand the cross. Because the gospel has a, there's a gospel ecosystem that's kind of ironic. You know about in the late 1800s, all the farmers and ranchers around Yellowstone began to hunt the wolves because the wolves were killing all their cattle. And it took about 75 years, but around the mid to late 20th century, the, there was no more wolves in Yellowstone. Well, you know what happened, right? The antelope, the elk, the mule deer began to run over everything. They multiplied like crazy. And they were ruining the ecosystem of Yellowstone. So what did they do? They reintroduced the wolves. And 25 years later, Yellowstone is almost, almost back to what it was 125 years ago. Absolutely beautiful. See, the good news of Jesus has an ecosystem. You come and hear... Jesus loves you. God loves you. God is a God of mercy, and we all say, oh, we like that. That's good. Then you hear God made you and owes you, and you owe him everything. And we say, whoa. I want to live my life the way I want to live. I want to be my own creator. I want to call the shots. Well, because we made ourselves the center of the universe, humanity is literally trampling over one another. We're hurting each other. And on the last day, there will be a judgment. There will be a throne where we'll face everything that we've done. And we say, yeah, not too crazy about that. I like a religion where God is loving. I want to get rid of the predators, get rid of the doctrine. I like all the nice doctrine. Well, you try to make God more loving than the gospel does, you'll make him less loving, and here's why. The God of a sort of vague, sentimental, and abstract love 
cost that God nothing to love you. But if when you believe a God who is just and loving, he's willing to go through the cross to love you. And it cost him everything. The reality is, if we weep for ourselves, if we see that we're under a sentence, then and only then will we see God truly does love us. And notice Jesus says in verse 30, Then they will begin to say to the mountains, Fall on us into the hills, cover us. Notice it isn't God who says, Fall on them. It isn't God who says, Cover them, judge them. God is not like, not like the bad guys in the movies who says, Aha, I gotcha, finally. No. The Bible says sin in your heart has told you and deluded you all of your life that unless you stay independent and do life your way, you're going to be happy. Sin in your heart lets you be religious as long as you don't have to believe you're a sinner saved by grace. Sin in your heart will let you be irreligious because you say, I have to make up my own mind what's right or wrong about me. Sin in your heart says, I can't give myself utterly and completely to you. And if you die like that, and when you meet him, you will rather call the mountains down and cover yourself. You'll condemn yourself. That's what Jesus is saying. It's not God who says to the mountains, fall down. It's us who say, who refuse to recognize all that it's costing us. You never give yourself totally to him without complete self-abandon. You'll stay in charge, and when eternity catches you on the last day, it's God who will look and he will say to you, let me show you the truth. Let me show you my sovereignty. Let me show you my power. Let me show you the truth. And you'll throw the mountains on yourself. You'll call down the hills on yourself rather than admit it, that you've been wrong. Brothers and sisters, let us weep for ourselves. We're under a sentence. And God has solved our sentence. Two, the second group of people. There's the crowd around him at the cross, the Pharisees, the general crowd, and the impenitent thief. Verse 35, and Jesus doesn't address them. He doesn't address the Pharisees and the leaders. He doesn't address the soldiers. And they're crying out to him, verse 35, let him save himself. What are they saying? You're the king. This is the capital city. This is your hour. If you're not going to exercise your power now, when are you? You've been telling us you're the great savior. Okay, prove it. This is your moment. Come on down, king. They don't understand a savior who comes in weakness. They're like the daughters of Jerusalem in a sense as if they don't see themselves as under a sentence. Therefore, they don't see any need for anyone to die for them. What they want is an example of a Savior. They want a model as a Savior. They want a general. 
the impenitent thief on the cross just wants to get out of this. He prays what many people pray. God, if you're real, get me out of this. Right? Some of you may be holding back in your walk with Christ. Or maybe some of you are skeptics because you prayed that prayer and Jesus didn't answer you in the way you wanted. He never answers that prayer. God, if you're real, get me out of here. Here's why. They don't see that the only hope that we have is that he stays right there and carries his sin. The problem with that prayer, here's how I know you're God, is that the premise is faulty. My life will go the way I want it to if you answer this prayer. How do you know? Can you know the future? You, you don't have to be a theologian to realize that the premise is faulty. Because we're not in control. God is. So that's the crowd. And that's the impenitent thief. But there's one who gets it. It's the penitent thief. He shows the signs of a spiritual awakening. Here's this guy dying on the cross. He looks over and says, we deserve what we're getting. You notice the impenitent thief, even though he had broken the laws, does he want to get off? No, he doesn't ask to get off. What does he ask? Absolutely, I deserve everything. I, don't, I deserve what I'm getting. And what's the truly amazing thing is that he turns to Jesus and says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. <laughs> Who does that? Do you realize what he's saying? He's seeing a future with Jesus. He has perceived that there's a door into the kingdom of God. He perceived what most people don't, that this is good news. The good news is not that I follow the example of Jesus Christ and then he blesses me. But the good news is that I'm sentenced. I'm lost. And my sentence will be final except it fell on him for me and you. Jesus can only possibly win by losing. And I can only possibly save myself by admitting that I can't save myself. So he turns and he says, all I want to know, Jesus, is will you remember me? He doesn't ask for paradise. He doesn't ask to get off the cross. He just says, I just want to be with you. Remember me. But here's the mark of the spiritually awake and the spiritually asleep. The impenitent thief says, I want you to save my skin, not my soul. The penitent thief says, I don't care about my skin. Just save me. I want to be in your presence. You know, when you come to Christ, most of us probably came as the impenitent thief, right? We were hoping you had a problem. <laughs> Lord, I come to you with this problem. But eventually the Spirit of God opens your eyes and you start to say, I deserve some of these problems. You say, who cares about my problems? What I really need is you. 
Lord Jesus Christ. Millions are going to church this day around the world. And they're praying, and I wonder what kind of thief are they? Some of them are saying, I don't deserve the problem I have. If you're God, get me out of this. Others are coming in saying, I deserve everything I've, I have. I don't care about the problem. I just need you, Lord. I need your mercy. Free me from the consequences of breaking the laws of God, and that's all that matters. So let's apply this, this Palm Sunday. First, for those of you who are dealing with guilt, you haven't been the Christian that you should have been. You haven't walked with the Lord the way you should have. What I love about Luke and about the kingdom of Jesus, look who Jesus hangs around. Tax collectors. Prostitutes. Criminals, demoniacs. You know any demoniacs? Right? He says, those are the ones Jesus embraced. You may actually feel like you're the, one of the worst Christians in the world. Well, Luke says, welcome to the club. Somebody has to be the biggest failure. Somebody has to be the worst in the world. And what Luke is trying to say, so what if you are? He loves you. He cares for you. If a thief could be saved just like that, he didn't get baptized. He didn't get confirmed. He never cleaned out the gutters for some widow. He just trusted completely. Nothing in my hands I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. It doesn't matter your performance, it matters about his performance. Cast all your trust upon this king. You can come. Then there's the rest of us. The cross of Christ, my friends, doesn't just forgive our sins. It transforms all of our life. If the cross of Jesus doesn't affect your priorities, it's too small. I think this Palm Sunday, for those of us who believe and trust in the good work of Christ, let's keep the cross big. If the cross of Christ doesn't affect our relationships, it's too small. If the cross of Christ doesn't affect your marriage, is too small. If the cross of Christ doesn't affect the way you parent as opposed to the rest of the world, it's too small. If it doesn't affect the way you grandparent, your cross is too small. If it doesn't affect your bank account, your purchases, all your stuff, your cross is too small. The cross of Jesus transforms all of our lives because there's nothing like the blood of Jesus. And all it takes is one drop one drop of the blood of Jesus, and when that gets into you, you are transformed. And it affects every single aspect of your being. Let us not minimize Christianity into a one-way ticket to heaven. It affects my life right now, today, into the future. 
Derwin Gray of Transformation Church in Charlotte says, the blood of Jesus rains down heaven on earth through people who've been soaked by the blood. In closing, Charles Spurgeon said Jesus looked down and saw all the people that he was dying for. Some were cringing. Some were snarling. All of them clueless. In the greatest act of strength and love in history of the world, Jesus stayed. Who are you this morning? Luke wants to know. And when the thief saw, said, there's the answer. You can take the sight of Jesus doing that in your heart. He's the solution. He's the healing oil for every single one of our lives. Let us walk in that reality this week. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray you would give us the understanding necessary, the awakening understanding, O Lord Jesus Christ. And like the penitent thief, ask you to remember us. As Jesus prayed, Father, forgive them, they don't get it. You answered that in that thief. And I believe he was praying for all of us. And I pray that you would answer all of us, Lord. I pray you would bring to all of us a consciousness of the things that these people were not conscious of. Lord, that you would reveal to us that we're all under a sentence. I pray you would show us that this is not a senseless tragedy, but it's the greatest act of self-sacrifice ever. And I pray that you would show us that we're not saved through our own merit and strength, but through weakness and trust in you and your atoning work upon the cross for us. We're not saved by being good people and good works, but through repentance. And we shouldn't be trusting our assessment of things, but your assessment of things. So, Father, I pray all these things would come into our hearts. You would change our lives forever. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.